welcome to Love Chapel Hill where we love like Jesus. Good morning, Love Chapel Hill. Team Dearmore here. Normally, if we were meeting in person, Lauren and I would be there with the rest of the hospitality team to welcome you, get you connected, and most importantly, to help you find the coffee and bagels. Now that it's getting a little chillier, we'd also start debating whether it was too soon to add specialty hot beverages to the coffee table. Well, after a year like this, I've made the executive decision that it's time to break out the hot chocolate. So, make yourself a cup, snuggle up, and get ready for the message. If you haven't connected with us yet, we'd love to hear from you. Use the Connect Card link that's posted on YouTube or Facebook to ask questions, or just let us know about your faith journey. We look forward to hearing from you. Bye. Hi, Love Chapel Hill family. My name's Amanda. I hope you are all doing well and taking care of yourselves. I want you to know that I will be praying for all of us as we make our way through the week. I also want to invite you to join us for our Love Chapel Hill Sunday service watch party, Sundays at 10 a.m. You can find the information at lovechapelhill.com under the Sunday service watch party tab. Um, I went to the watch party last week and I felt so rejuvenated and so nourished just um, being together with my love Chapel Hill family worshiping and listening to the Word of God um, and it felt like it did back in March um, and so I would love to invite you to join in with us uh, for Sunday service watch parties Sundays at 10 a.m. again that is on lovechapelhill.com our connections team is doing such a good job of making sure uh, that although we are apart we are not alone we don't feel alone uh, and so again we'd love to have you join us thank you all so much love you
with a shout of acclamation and take me home what joy shall fill my heart then i shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim my god how great thou art then sings my soul my savior god
Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within them. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Hey, Love Chapel Hill. How you doing? <laughs> I don't know where uh, things are right now because uh, we are filming this on Friday. And so um, I have no clue uh, what has taken place between when we film and uh, when we are all experiencing this together. Uh, Nevada might still be counting right now. I don't know. We don't know what, what is happening. Uh, but I do know this. I do know that we need to begin today um, with a pastoral word uh, that I feel like the Lord is speaking to us today and uh, wants to press into us as a church family and church community together. Um, I sense that he is saying to us today um, that he sees you and he hears you that he is for you and he is with you. You have no doubt heard many people say um, in an attempt to be encouraging and uniting, you have heard people say that no matter what happens, Jesus is still the king and he is still on the throne. And that is absolutely true. But that cannot be said in a way that is dismissive of the real experiences of people. And so that is unshakably true. But it can't be said all on its own. That piece of the story and that piece of the reality has to be tied in with the larger picture of reality and the larger picture of the story, which also tells us that, yes, Jesus is king on the throne. We have a God who is on the throne. And at the same time, we have a God who is willing to step off of his throne and step into our world, step into the middle of everything that we experience to bear the weight of that with us. That reality needs equal weight. And so, yes, we do have a king who is on the throne. And that king is one who has walked through what you have walked through. And he did that willingly. He didn't have to do that. But in the book of Philippians that we've studied together uh, back through the summer as we studied that together, we're reminded of the reality of this God who uh, releases his own privilege, empties himself of that privilege that comes with divinity, not the power of divinity, not the nature of it, not the character of it, but the privilege of it to enter into humanity and to walk through this with us and to redeem creation from within creation. And there's deep hope in both of those realities being held together 
and the tension that holds them together. Yes, we have a God who is on the throne and we have a God who stepped off of that throne to enter into our world, to experience suffering and through that suffering to bring us salvation. That's the reality. What kind of God is on the throne? He's the kind of God who would be willing to do that and who has done that. It is good news to know that God is great, that he's great enough and powerful enough to be reigning over all things. It's better news to know that God is good and that he's good enough that in the midst of all things, he is working for you and he is with you regardless of what you are walking through. It is good news to know God is great. It's better news to know that he's good. I believe that's what he's saying to us today. In the midst of that. And we have our hope in that. In the tension of that held together of both of those things being true at the same time, the God who's on the throne and the God who gave up the throne to come to you and to bear the weight for you. We're going to keep moving today. Uh, we are continuing this series that we have been in together, this series that we're calling Kingdom Tide. Uh, where we're talking about the Old Testament prophets and staying rooted in the Old Testament. We do this every fall. We return to the Old Testament. I'm going to stop for a second. Sorry. I'm going to stop and uh, we're going to pray. Um, and I don't know exactly how to pray, but I'm going, going to uh, exactly how to pray for us in this moment. But I am going to open this up uh, for just a moment. And um, maybe even if you're watching it on the watch party together, or if you are um, watching this with your family or friends or just wherever you are, uh, let's just pause for a moment. Uh, let's experience some silence in the midst of the noise. And let's ask for the Holy Spirit to speak directly to us. So that's how we're going to pray is just in silence. And ask him to hear and ask him to speak. Let's pray.
Amen. Amen. Uh, today we are in the prophet Ezekiel. Uh, we are looking at the book that he wrote. Uh, specifically, we're looking at chapters 37 and 47 together. Uh, again, this series, Kingdom Tide, uh, as we talk about the reality of that river of justice uh, that Amos saw, the vision that Amos had of this river of justice and righteousness flowing like a never-ending stream. And uh, we've just, we just keep coming back to the reality of righteousness and justice together being that double pulse of the heartbeat of God and you cannot separate uh, his character apart. And so we want to be those kinds of people. We want to be uh, the people uh, who become um, this riverbed for that river to flow through in this community. And uh, so that's, that's what, where we're going to be today with uh, the prophet Ezekiel. Uh, again, chapters 37 and 47. Uh, many of us are going through uh, a study together and going through a book together uh, called The Awakened Life. This is something that was uh, written by a person who is a, a mentor to me, uh, someone uh, who's been incredibly shaping and important in my life. And uh, so I'm going to refer to a passage out of this a little bit later. Uh, but at the heart of this study that many of us are going through together um, is that imagery from uh, Ezekiel. 37 and 47. And so uh, as we are in this Kingdom Tide series together, and as we are, um, I just got attacked by a bug. It was not the same ant from, <laughs> from before. Um, and uh, so as we are going through that reading together, uh, it, it just makes perfect sense for us to overlap these. Uh, and also one of the key visions that Ezekiel gives to us in chapter 47 is this vision of the river. So how can we talk about kingdom tide and the Old Testament prophets and read through this together and not come back to this? OK, so that's where we're going to be today. Uh, a little bit of context. Ezekiel uh, overlaps with some of the other prophets that we have looked at and some of the context from from the other prophets, uh, specifically Daniel. Um, Ezekiel is writing from the same time period and in the same situation. And so um, we have the attack of the Babylonian Empire against the city of Jerusalem, taking people uh, wave after wave of people from Jerusalem into captivity, uh, specifically targeting the best and the brightest of Jerusalem's future. Uh, those who are being raised up in the royal line, uh, also those who are being raised up in the priesthood um, and taking away the future of Jerusalem, taking them into captivity in Babylon and forcing them to become the future of Babylon, uh, retraining them in many ways to become that. Um, and so Ezekiel is writing in that kind of time period. Uh, Ezekiel uh, is one of the captives. He had been studying to become a priest. Um, and instead of becoming a priest in the midst of captivity, God raises him up to become a prophet for his people in the midst of exile. Uh, the first chapters of the book, uh, the first section of the book in chapters 1 through 32, um, Ezekiel's message is about warning and it's about the judgment that is coming. 
Uh, and so because of the rebellion of the people of Israel, we've talked before about this cycle of rescue and rebellion uh, and renewal that we keep coming back to. Uh, and that's an important framework to keep in mind when you're looking at the history of the Old Testament and that kind of sweeping story of the, of the whole Old Testament. And again, we remember that um, in that cycle, uh, Israel uh, goes through a time of rebellion, uh, which leads them into a time of repentance. Once they are experiencing God's judgment, uh, they end up experiencing oppression from other nations. And in the midst of that, uh, they are brought to this place of repentance. Uh, out of repentance, they're brought into a place of rescue where God hears those cries and, and he raises up a liberator for them to rescue them. And then out of rescue then comes this time of renewal. And so uh, the first half of Ezekiel's book here, the first section of the book is addressing that rebellion, uh, calling out that rebellion and calling them to a place of repentance. The second half of the book then moves into a time of hope where he is foreshadowing the rescue that is going to come and the renewal that is going to come uh, on the heels of that rescue. And so that's how the book is laid out. In between those sections, though, uh, in between that first section that's about warning and judgment and the, sex, the second section that's about uh, restoration and hope, there's this 13-year period of silence uh, where Ezekiel in his ministry, he goes silent. Uh, it's during that time that he hears the devastating news that not only has Israel been, uh, has Jerusalem been attacked uh, and destroyed, but even the temple at the heart of Jerusalem, the symbol of God's presence with his people has been destroyed. And it's in that, that time then of silence that he gets that news and this heartbreaking, gut-wrenching news that the temple has been destroyed. On the heels of that, God opens Ezekiel's mouth again. He puts new words in his mouth, words of hope and restoration about what is to come. And he begins to speak. In chapter 37, uh, we have what is called the vision of the valley of death. Um, and I'm going to read that for you. Um, we're going to read that together and want, to want you to hear uh, what Ezekiel sees uh, as the Lord is speaking to him. This is about the reality of Israel, the reality of um, God's people and where they were in this moment. God shows him this. It says in verse 37, starting with verse, uh, chapter 37, starting with verse one, the hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. 
then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them and there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. So powerful, such a stirring vision that God gives to Ezekiel in this moment. The past destruction brought into a place of hope and restoration, dead things brought to life. In this vision, it's miraculous that the bones come back together, that the structure gets rebuilt, that the tendons uh, come back together, that the skin and flesh and this pretty disturbing image, obviously in a lot of ways, but powerful image. It's amazing and it's miraculous to see that happen. And yet there's a very clear statement that gets made. And yet there was no breath in these bodies. So these bodies were still dead. There was no breath in these bodies. So these bodies were still dead. And the moment that we find ourselves in, you're going to hear a lot of people talking about unity and calling for unity. And as the church, we should be at the front of the line calling for that and demonstrating that with our lives. But do not settle for false unity. Do not settle for a shallow, cheap copy version of unity. What we need deeply is, is true unity, is real unity. And the reality is this. You can try to rebuild bodies with bones, but they're going to still be dead until the breath fills them up. You can try to rebuild bodies with bones, but without the breath, they are still dead. What we need to be praying for is for the Spirit of God to move in a powerful way to be the source and the end of what that unity looks like. Do not settle for a false kind of unity. Do not settle for the kind of unity that you and I can build. Pray for a supernatural level of unity, for the Spirit of God to move and to break down walls that we can't break down in our own power, to rebuild things that we can't rebuild in our own power. You can build a body out of bones, but without the breath, it's still dead. So let's pray for the movement of the Holy Spirit of God within our church, within us, within our families, within our community and beyond. Don't settle for a false surface level 
unity. Allow the Holy Spirit to do the difficult work of dismantling and breaking down what needs to come down. We need the real thing and we're desperate for the real thing. Hey, y'all, I know this is kind of awkward, but we're uh, shifting gears right here. We went ahead and recorded the rest of that sermon that you heard the beginning of there, Um, but just felt after the fact like this is where we should have paused and um, taken a moment instead of just continuing with what we were doing. Um, And in this time, leaning into a time of prayer together as a church. And so that's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to put some prompts on the screen um, with some instructions that will guide you uh, and guide us in how we're going to engage this together. But um, we feel like this is what we need to be doing right now, uh, taking a time, uh, an extended time to listen to what the Lord has to say to us, um, to open ourselves up to Him, And uh, that's what we're going to do together now uh, as a church family. And uh, so we invite you to follow along with the prompts on the screen and engage together as a church family in prayer. time again you have proven do just what you said though the storms may come and the winds may blow I'll remain steadfast and let my heart learn when you speak a word it will come to
pass away, your word remains the same. Your history can prove there's nothing you can't do. Be faithful and true, though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast and let my heart. Growth. What does growth mean? Well, physical growth is when something smaller or younger becomes bigger 
more mature. This is done by being provided some sort of substance, uh, whether it's food, water, nutrients. What about spiritual growth? Well, spiritual growth is a lot like physical growth in that we need substance to grow. And just as when we were younger, we need help being fed, so it is with spiritual growth. Christian maturity is not a solo journey. We need each other to be able to grow. So if you're at home right now and you're thinking to yourself, I need to grow spiritually, that there's something missing in my walk with Jesus and I need more. Well, we want to encourage you to join with something in our church we call Discipleship Bands. Discipleship Bands are a group of three to five people that read together, pray together, and grow together in loving each other with the heart of Jesus and also taking that out into the world. So we tried to make joining a discipleship band easy as possible. All you have to do is go to lovechapelhill.com. Scroll down on the main page and you find discipleship bands. Fill out a simple form. What that form will do will help us find three to five other people just like yourself wanting to grow spiritually. Joining a discipleship band may be the best decision you make of all of 2020. So I really want you to pray about it and think about uh, joining a discipleship band. Well, I want to thank everyone for joining us today. You're sent to love Chapel Hill or wherever you are with the heart of Jesus. Mm-hmm.